Yes. This is Monsteropolis, a show about anomalies, legends, and monsters. Thanks for tuning in. It's great to have you here with us. I am Andy Matsky, your host, uh, also the producer and showrunner of this show, and I'm joined today by my father, Mark Matsky. Hello there. Hi. Hi, this is exciting. This is yeah. a brand new experience in uh, Monsteropolis history. Yeah, we are currently in the same building as we were when we started recording Sasswet, I believe. Wow. Like when you and I took over Sasswet. Yeah. This is Sasswet Towers, as we often yeah, refer to it. Yeah, wow, um, that's right. Wow. Retro. Yeah. So that's why I uh, I have to say um, this new look is a little temp is temporary. We're trying it out. Um, and it's all my fault that we're recording here today. Um, last week, we were maybe going to record, but without you. I was like, eh, I don't <laughs> want to do that. And I figured you'd just come down sometime this week, um, which was the plan. And then we have a small town monsters company meeting Friday. And um, you you were only going to come down for that. And I said, oh, no, because we need to record this week. Yeah. So I decided that I would just drive up here from Wadsworth to record with you today so that we can get you some quality Monsteropolis content and not have to skip. Because previously, when I first started off as showrunner, um, we would recycle old squad exclusive episodes. And we sort of ran out of... Good ones of those. <laughs> um, and so now we have to record every week or like or so. Yes, regularly. And um, Seth doesn't know that this is happening <laughs> in like any way. I mean, <laughs> I took all the I'd similar to what we did last time when we recorded where I sort of scrounged for gear, except this time I took it with me. Yeah. It's fine. It's an early, early it's, birthday press. Yeah. It's not that. Yeah. <laughs> Twelve months. Or yeah. <laughs> See, it's it's fine. It's fine. Eight months in advance. Surprise. Um, yeah, surprise. I took all your stuff. He's off recording um, the interviews for Bigfoot the Ridge. and uh, That's going to be exciting. Yeah, that's exciting. A little bit of housekeeping around here at Monsteropolis. Uh, the new episode of uh, <laughs> the new episode of Bigfoot Project is out now. No, Beyond the Trail. It's Bigfoot Project. The episode of Bigfoot Project just dropped. I have in my notes Beyond the Trail, but that is wrong. Um, Bigfoot Project just dropped. Beyond the Trail is about to drop. I saw today that it was uploading while I was at work. So uh -huh. squad members, you should be looking for that. That actually might be out before this. Um, and then our Kickstarter for everything that we do here at Small Town Monsters is live still, but only for about a week or so from the posting of this episode. So if you want to be a backer, you want to be a part of what we do here. You want to show us your support and you want to, you know, ensure that things like this keep being made and all the documentaries that we make. Go back to Kickstarter. Yeah, it's getting close to, is it getting close to one of the stretch goals, like the final stretch yeah, goal? Yeah, we are, I think, 3,000 away from okay. the final stretch goal, which is a handy dandy, neat little um Two discs set with On the Trail of Bigfoot, The Last Frontier, and the Beyond the Trail tie-in with um, The Last Frontier. 
It'll be a two disc set. That's amazing. I want that. Yeah, for really sure. Bad. Um, so as we record here again, what are some memories from Sasswat and recording past? See what what you, the listener at home, might not know is that the two of us reco- have recorded podcasts together for. We've been recording podcasts for what three or four years, if not more. No, oh, way more. Than more. That. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, around 2014, 2015 is when we started. So eight years. Yeah. Monsterland Ohio Radio is how we got into that. So memories specific to Sasswat, for example. Am I correct in remembering this that we interviewed Stan Gordon, just mm-hmm. you and I? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we definitely did. And we had some decidedly low-tech um, ways of going about our business, which I liked for various reasons. Our, we recorded him off our landline on speakerphone to yeah. show our technical abilities at the time. Right. But I have to say, I still like the way that that sounds. I like the lo-fi AM radio quality to that for, I don't know, probably sentimental reasons more than anything else. It reminds me of like Art Bell and Coast to Coast AM. So the uh, the thing about that, though, is that it's a cordless phone. And in order for it to be in range of our Yeti mic, somebody had to hold it the whole time. And after a while, that gets I think we would be a little bit who, brutal. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So those were those were some good shows. I still I'm still pretty proud of those shows. I think they hold up over time. We started into the concept of Sasswit Nation, which I thought had some potential and people seemed to like that and we're getting excited about it. We had some special guests on for that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the um so it was fun. I mean it was really it was a fun time and you know, I think the uh, the fact that we were able to do some Monsteropolis state-specific Bigfoot episodes is sort of a, a you know, imprecise continuation mm-hmm. of that process, which is a lot of fun. Yeah, that Sasquatch Nation idea that we had was that we would go through, for those who don't know, we would go, the, the hope and the idea was we would go through all of the states in the United States of America in alphabetical order talking about Bigfoot in each state and sighting reports and talking to um, investigators was the idea mm-hmm. that this would be like every episode of Sasquatch Nation would be two parts, essentially. And mm-hmm. it would be one part um, sighting reports and one part researcher when we sort of knew a relevant researcher. Like I remember yeah. when we did Alabama, I don't think we found a researcher, no. but um. It was it was a really interesting idea, and I think it's something that both you and I um, definitely feel like it's unfinished business. Yeah, it's definitely incomplete because we only got to Arkansas, <laughs> right? Whatever number that is, and that's like that's three or four. Hawaii was going to be interesting. Yeah, there's a lot that we were <laughs> like, this is going to be something, but it's something that I still wish we could do that sort of format where it's. It's both interview and cases sort of trading places mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that I think um, we both would want to continue. Yeah, it's neat. I mean, you know, it appeals to me because it's kind of orderly. <laughs> 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 uh, 
But, we wouldn't uh, have to go, hey, what episode do you want to do? And it mm-hmm. wouldn't have been every episode of Sasquatch. No, it was right. like that it was, it was every other. It was never intended to be like just. Yeah, that for the rest of it. 50, it would be like. 50 weeks in a row. So maybe we'll bring. And we're sort of bringing that back in spirit with these yeah. state-specific Bigfoot episodes. Also because state-specific Bigfoot episodes, like you're saying, is it order and it gives it focus. Mm-hmm. Like, it's sort of hard if you just want to go Bigfoot. For us, at least. Like, I can't do that. So, speaking of state-specific Bigfoots, you know, the the topic of this week's show is Appalachian Bigfoot. Appalachian Sasquatch. Appalachian, oops, Appalachian Ape Men, if you will. Um, And we chose this. We have a few reasons um, for choosing this. One that's sort of the most important to me is sort of a personal connection because um, we lived for five years in Zanesville, which is, you know, a part of Appalachia and definitely as a part of that Appalachian culture that's down there. And so that's really interesting to us. Um, And also because we have quite a few resources at our disposal that we can use easily that are sort of easy access for us to do. And it's something we have a lot of experience with. I mean, we spent, that's when my love of Bigfoot was fostered was when we lived there. So it's something that's very near and dear to my heart. And it was definitely at that point that it was on the cusp of that region being recognized as a region where these things might happen. It was sort of, I remember at the beginning, it's like, no, Bigfoot's out Pacific Northwestern, even if he's not just relegated to there, this this part of the country might not be it, but it it was fun, and that's those are some of the first cases I heard, you know, said from a researcher. Like I I pull hev- heavily from Doug Waller in this episode, and we we went and saw him talk at libraries a few times, and heard him speak at conferences and all that. And that's I'm sure I can talk about that more later, but that was an introduction for me to all this. It's neat to know that he's still doing the pretty much the same thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, in preparing for this, we happen to note that uh, Doug was doing a presentation in Mansfield at their library there. And the presentation we saw at the Zanesville library that he had was pretty nice. I mean, it was in their main auditorium, mm-hmm. pretty good turnout. And what's so interesting, and we'll, we'll get into this as we go deeper into the subject, but I think that's the that's the reaction of a lot of people still is that Appalachia, you know, Bigfoot, they kind of scratch their heads at the connection. It's starting to become more acceptable, certainly. The Ohio Bigfoot Conference kind of put Appalachia on the map, or Southeast Ohio at any rate. But now um, what you do, what you find out when you look backwards is that there is a history of these sightings that for a very long time was accepted as real, but access to that was not easily granted. Let's say it like that. Mm -hmm. So for those who don't know, the Appalachian, Appalachian region is a very large region of the country. Um, It's, it includes 420 counties across 13 states. And those states are Alabama, Georgia, Kentucky, Maryland, Mississippi, New York, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, Tennessee, Virginia, and West Virginia. 
Um, we are only talking about a very small region of the whole Appalachian region. Um, and uh, it's named after the mountain range that runs through. Um, that's a very large mountain range with many, you know, things including it. Um, things that listeners may be aware of are is like the Chestnut Ridge and the, the Allegheny Mountains are a part of this. Uh, the Great Smokies are a part of the Appalachians and so are um, the Blue Ridge Mountains. Wow. Um, so that's a little background if you were, you know, unaware of the region. And I didn't know it stretched so far down to parts of Mississippi and all that. Mm-hmm. It's a big, big part of the country. Um, also has to do with socioeconomic things. Well, Appalachia is not just, um, you know, the, the region and named after the mountains. It definitely is a, a culture of people, um, a very old culture um that's you know it's been around a while and is definitely um probably subtly one of the most distinct cultures um you may not think of it you may just think of it as oh hillbilly culture and things like that but it's it's something that's much more and something um something more widespread obviously mm-hmm. it's not just exactly hill folk um uh, you definitely see that in the way that um, they have their own way of saying things, right? And, and oh, sure. their own way, and it's a, it's a way of life, and it's something that I don't think is thought about very much, even though it is very much active in America. Yeah, it is that, as you said, there's a whole dialect that goes along, and that's that's very highly regionalized, even within Appalachia itself. It's not as if there's a homogeneous way of speaking there really isn't and uh the emphasis is definitely on self-reliance having to do with the land itself Mm -hmm. i think that a lot of the you know you've got a real strong mix of immigrants coming into the appalachian regions who are forced to just make a go of it and that led to just a real um strong emphasis on the individual and it's up to the individual to make their own decisions that should be respected and certainly one thing that that has led to which impacts like creature reports and things of that nature is that an outsider will be treated with respect but will not necessarily be brought into the shared knowledge of a family group or a community until they are absolutely sure that you are trustworthy. And if they're, if you have any doubts about that, just, you're not going to crack the nut. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be let in. And especially if, if someone shows up in the Appalachian region, sort of waving around their college degree saying, I'm an expert and therefore you should listen to me about whatever the topic happens to be, if it's Bigfoot and cryptids or economics or um, how people should organize their homes and all the, you'll just be sort of politely ignored. It doesn't work for you to walk into Appalachia and say, I'm an expert on fill in the blank. Uh, just what, if you're trying to go in a certain direction in Appalachian culture, it's far wiser to find someone from within that culture, raise them up as the leader and let them go because they'll have buy-in that you will never have as like a 
college educated mm -hmm. outsider coming in. Now it's not to say they'll reject you outright, but um, it's just not the same. And that that holds true today, like to this very mm -hmm. day in our connected Wi-Fi culture. Um, that still is the case. There's still a the fundamental way in which there is a preservation of these old ways that continues. Yeah, I mean, we we moved away from Appalachia, what, five or six years ago now? Yeah, six. Six years ago mm -hmm. now. And when we left, th this way of life was still alive and well. Mm -hmm. um, as, as the world seems, or America, seems to become more and more, you know, like one big thing, they're still very distinctive and they're, you'll still notice where you are and be aware of where you are when you're in that area yeah. for sure. And that area stretches up even here, like Ashtabula County, where we talked about Night Siege a few weeks ago. That's technically um, Appalachia, which is crazy to think about. It is. And I think it's safe to say, and it's probably stupid to say in a certain way, but the further south you push in Ohio, the more into that really um, dedicated, insular sort of culture you find. Mm -hmm. um, Zanesville is definitely foothills as far as terrain is concerned. Mm -hmm. But the further you push south, and I've, I had a couple experiences, uh, one in particular to go down into like Vinton County, for example, there was a time in Ohio's history, and it may still be the case, that there is only one stoplight in all of Vinton County, Ohio. And it's just right, like, geographically in the middle of the county, and it may just be a flashing light, like a flashing yellow one way and a red the other. And there's, MacArthur is the only village to speak of in the whole county. And it's in places like that where you still get into some of the markers of the culture, which is that... There's not, there's no big houses, not a lot of ostentatious spending of money going on. The wealth is the land, land that has been owned by multiple generations of families. It's just passed down one generation to the next. That's the wealth, as well as the ability to tend to the land and to know that this is ours. And so there's not sort of a, a keeping up with the Joneses type ideal of life or a consumerism there at all. And what you see, and this, well, we should probably get into Bigfoot stuff here pretty soon, but what you see then is like, people look at that and sometimes there's a huge plot of land with a very small house. And people from the outside could look at that and say, well, that's, that person's living in poverty. They're like living in a shed. How could you be happy with that? Well, and, and so let us come in and help you Mm -hmm. get yourself out of this situation. But when you talk to the person, you very quickly learn that they are completely content. They are very happy with their lives. They have this land. They just want to be left alone to self-determine their, their life and their fate. And it's a, just an interesting way of, of thinking of life, especially in the United States where mm -hmm. so much yeah. depends on spending money. So all of that has to do with uh, Bigfoot cases. In this regard, uh, there's really two big things. One is, quote unquote, Bigfoot experts coming into that area. Um, you may be allowed access to land if you're persuasive and a kind of a good, trustworthy person, but chances are you're not going to be 
given access to all the stories that exist uh, in the cultural memory and of families. Um, that's one thing. And fortunately for us, we have some access to some of those stories because a long ago listener to Sasswood sent in a document. Uh, and I'm not going to describe the document too closely. I don't want to give too much away because I know there was some sensitivity about it being utilized most likely to try to pinpoint where these things were happening and to follow up on uh, citing reports that are, are represented in this, in this document. But what I do want to do today is um, relay some of those stories that were captured in this because I'm, I'm not going to use any names, uh, any proper names. There's even a, a cultural name for what I'm going to refer to as the creature. So this is like replacing the, the term that's in this paper with uh, just the sort of the blanket term, the creature. And I think that's safe uh, to do that. And that's, what, that's what's so interesting to me is that there is, when you start to get into this, it becomes very obvious that the identification of a large creature of some sort that is absolutely not a bear was um, accepted. Like as far back as the mid-20th century and even back past that too. So... Um, I don't know what anything before we get into those reports you want to I say. I can't really think of anything now. All right, but yeah. So uh, let's the first report that comes out of the document that we have was uh, I'm using a pseudonym here here, um, and we'll call him Mort. This is a sighting that Mort had in 1952 in southern Ohio, and it's fairly typical for the region. Uh, this was recalled in a 2001 conversation. I was trying to clear groundhogs from the back property. The vermin had taken hold yonder down the cornfield. I walked almost to the ditch, figuring they'd burrowed in there. As I got closer, I saw by the wood line what I thought was a black bear. Didn't pay her too much attention because I was after groundhogs. Bear might take a sheep, but groundhogs destroy your whole field. Few more steps, and that black bear stood up. Wasn't no bear then. It was the creature, plain as you standing here with me. Well, she took one look at me and walked straight into the wood line. My dad always told me if I was going to see one, it would be in the spring, and sure enough, we had just sowed the corn not two weeks earlier. Thing had to have been seven foot to seven and a half. Corn wasn't tall yet, but I know how big those walnut trees were because we planted them. Ain't seen one since, but you know as well as me, she comes back. I like, I like that both because of the time that it w was seen and when it was reported. I think that's important to note. We don't think of 50s as, you know, that's before the first big wave. And 2001 is the cusp of the modern era of Bigfoot research. So that's very interesting. Yeah, there's a couple things, too. I agree. And I think a couple things stand out to me. One is the fact that Mort said 
if you see one. Yeah. So right away, you've got this idea of the possibility of seeing one being in play, something that was talked about within the family in a very matter of fact mm-hmm. way, which I just. Yeah, there's a precedent for these things and the pattern of when they emerge that's that's taking place then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also it's the terrain that's described there. Uh, it's It rings true with Southern Ohio where you do have, and, and for at a certain time historically, you know, you had this huge difference between land cleared for farming and then the natural woods that were there. And it's almost as if the woods are the line of demarcation between these relatively small farms. And so that becomes a way of... Um, both gathering food and of travel all throughout that region and sort of the the natural observable wisdom of these cases where, again, my dad told me if I was going to see one, it would be in the spring. Mm-hmm. So there's, I mean, what that is saying without saying it is that there are patterns that have been noticed that the, the your probability of seeing mm-hmm. one goes up yeah. in the spring and Again, that this wasn't treated in sort of a sensational way or like. That's a very mundane report and mundane like talking about it. This isn't Mm -hmm. something that seems to have shaken up this guy. This was just, oh, this is when it would have happened and this is what did happen. Finally got to see one. Yep. And, you know, isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. And just like, you know, we, I can compare that to a certain height because we planted the trees. I mean, just that connection Mm -hmm. to the earth is really Appalachian in nature. It's a good, it's a cool way to start Mm -hmm. these reports. Um, Should I move on? Yeah. Okay. So we're not confined here to Southern Ohio. We're also talking about West Virginia. It's all part Mm -hmm. of that uh, same region. This is a report that happened in West Virginia, 1978. Uh, Witness named Matt had a similar encounter he said, I was taking old Mac for a walk, and old Mac is a dog. Oh. Just, so, yeah. It's not, not great like grandpa. an elderly relative that needed to get out? <laughs> no. It's not a Charlie and the Chocolate Factory yeah. situation. <laughs> yeah, I, I know contextual clues would have probably yeah. let you know. It's but good old to Mac. clarify. It is good. It is Appalachian, yeah. He wasn't no good at hunting. I'm just reading this as as is. He wasn't no good at hunting, but he had treed so many meals for me that I just couldn't do him in. So I walked him around the property a time or two a week while checking for anything suspicious. Back yonder, there's a patch of woods where my grandpa stored his wood in a shanty to keep it dry, so it weren't too grown over. You can call it a clearing. Mother Nature had started to take it back over, but that's fine. I didn't have a use for it no more. Well, Mac and I walked back there a time or two. I smelled dead beaver bad, but weren't no beavers on this side of my property. Figured a coyote drug it there. I poked around with the stick, but didn't find it. Weren't more than a few moments later, I saw it. Third tree back, standing plain as day. I think it was hoping I wouldn't see it. I knew what it was. Seen one with Gramps when I was five or maybe four. Gramps said it made an awful howl if it got too close. I just stood there looking. It would have killed old Mac, and I would have had a fight with it if we'd been closer, but old Mac couldn't see good no more. That SOB was big, eight feet if it was an inch. The creature wasn't bright, though, just stood there for, I'd say, a good two minutes till I picked up a twig and snapped it. 
Then the thing ran. I swear on Gramp's grave, it took three steps for I couldn't see it no more. I didn't walk the young dogs up there after that. Can't afford a fight and to lose the dogs. I got champion dogs. And I never heard of creatures being a good meal, so no reason to kill it. That's how that one ends, which I just love. (laughs) I tried looking up what dead beavers smelled like, and I just got how to remove dead odor smells. Okay. I just wanted to see if it was, like, distinctive. I guess I should. Brought to you by Zorbex. Yeah. (laughs) No, and also I just Googled dead beaver bad, and I just got (laughs) pictures that I don't want to see. But, yeah. Any thoughts on that case? Um, Besides the... Dead beaver bad. Yeah. Um... (laughs) Fire That's good. the title of the episode. Friend good. Dead beaver Dead bad. Dead beaver bad. Um, uh, I like that he didn't want to fight it because he didn't want to lose the dog and that he didn't um, think it'd be good for food. So what's the point? You know, not to bring in the body for science, mm-hmm. but um, I liked that a lot. Um, I also like that he saw one with his grandpa yeah. earlier in his life. I wish I saw a grandpa. I wish I saw a grandpa. I wish I saw a creature with <laughs> yeah. my grandpa. That'd be cool. It would be. Yeah, um, so again, you have like this generational mm-hmm. connection. The size of the creature in this case. What's wild is that Appalachia, it's not always this way, but you get some pretty big creature estimations. Mm-hmm. And they don't seem to be um, overblown or exaggerated. The behavior of the creature in this caught my attention as well, which is to say this standing still, you know, across the Sasquatch literature, such as it is, there's a lot of that, I think. I mean, you've got the old swaying back and Mm -hmm. forth that's become sort of a famous way of describing Bigfoot. But also then you have a lot of that standing stock still and essentially, as it says in this report, hoping not to be seen. And I imagine... There's a lot of animals in the woods that do a similar thing. You know, deer, you yeah, could deer pass by it. deer with, and they're waiting to see if you notice. And if you notice, then their behavior changes. Do you know if you clap at them, they'll run away? I did not know that. If you, like, yell at them, they won't. But if you clap at deer, they'll run away. That's interesting. According to Heather Moser. Huh. I wonder why. I don't know. Well, call her up. Right <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like the flat flashback mid- story to the previous story mm-hmm. it's very boggy creek like yeah it's like i remember earlier in my life I was like, right so i mean i guess it goes without saying but i'm going to say it since it's a podcast after all or no all these these sightings that i'll be recounting i think one of the common denominators is that the people were outside and these are people who are outside typically a lot uh, either farming, you know, working a farm, hunting is another one that will be touched on in a report that I'm going to share in a minute or two. But these are not road crossing sightings from a vehicle. These are people who are out at all times of the year under various weather conditions. And so, you know, they just, I don't know, there's a, a ability to just navigate in those conditions that's natural to them because they're always mm-hmm. doing it and it's not conscious like oh i gotta do this or that because it's weather could change you know it's just natural to being mm-hmm. these are also people who are accustomed to what's normal in the woods 
And I mean, for yes. for them, this certainly seems to be, I mean, more normal. But, but when these are people who hear things or um, see things, this is something that's different. Mm-hmm. Or at least not what they're used to seeing. They're used to the normal sights and sounds of the woods. Um, so something that doesn't belong yeah. there stands out. I mean, attention. that was that was a story I considered reading, and I'm not going to read today. From Will's Creek was uh, a story of a bow hunter who went out, and he heard this terrible scream in the woods, and he had never heard anything like it before, and yeah. it frightened him so bad that he packed up all his stuff and he left. And this was in the middle of the night. Um, and he he was always you know told that these things were out there, and he didn't really believe, but he just heard it. So, yeah. Um, it sort of you know makes you think about how you what you're used to hearing in the woods or what you're accustomed to mm-hmm. or what you can at least say you know what it is. Because there there's some natural sounds out there in the woods that are pretty freaky if you don't know what they are. Yeah. And if you're not out there, you hear a great blue heron and you'll think that there's a dinosaur <laughs> yeah. over in the woods. Right. So these are people who are, for one thing, out there and out there frequently mm-hmm. but and therefore are are used to what's going on in the woods. Yeah. And especially if it's they've been in the same relative spot or the same exact spot for generations, you have that generational mm-hmm. knowledge that builds up. Yeah. And before you know it, you know that the creature comes around in the springtime and mm-hmm. and all that. Yeah, and there's an anecdote in this paper where that's almost exactly what's happening, where the author and a family member are outside the home on uh, an evening and they're identifying different sounds in a way that you know i could never do like they're able to say i can tell you what a barred owl is and i'm proud of that <laughs> yes. because i think i've been out in the woods this may be a, a made-up memory but i think there was one time my buddies and i were out in the woods one night and we heard something and they're like oh. i was like it's a barred owl it was cool because it mm-hmm. was a barred owl yeah and that's happened a few times on STM shoots on, mm-hmm. on Bigfoot project shoots. We've heard those, but I think there's one late night hike with a friend that we heard a barred owl. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, you know, if I wasn't there to raise my voice that they would have went home and said they heard a strange creature, <laughs> but yeah, it's cool to know. It is. There is one time I've been out in the woods and I didn't know what I heard. That's a fun story. When you hear thump, like thumps in the woods, that's always hard to tell. Mm-hmm. That's a fun story. It is. Do you want to tell it or no? No, it's no. I was walking through the woods <laughs> with my friend, and um, we were at a park that's not far from here. And it's um, I like how I said no and allow me to tell the story. <laughs> yeah. We're walking through the woods oh, at night. No, not no. this story. <laughs> As we did because we live where we live. Once it gets past like ten o'clock, there's really not much good, clean fun that you and your buddies can go do, and um. So to, you know, but parks, this is all I'll say, but parks stay open until like 11 midnight. They really, you know, don't close. You can always sort of just go to a park. So we'd go to parks and we'd go on night hikes. I had a flashlight in my car. It was summer. And we were at a park not too far from here. And we were coming back towards the parking lot. And this is not a, a park that's out in the middle of nowhere. This is a park pretty much on a peninsula just outside of town, just outside of Painesville. And I think, see, I can't quite remember what happened. We, 
we either heard a strange sound first and stopped, but at one point we were stopped and um, a, a tree above us like creaked and that freaked us out a, okay. a little, but then we were, what was the initial strange sound? I think the initial strange sound was, was the thump. I think that's what okay. it was, but it was this big like thud mm. that was sounding like something. It was almost like on metal and it was like mm. towards where like the bathrooms and the shelter were. Okay. And the, the part that made us like a little uneasy, I mean, was for one thing, this is not a remote park, so this could very well be people sure. that we don't want to deal with. Mm-hmm. But it was right where we had to walk back oh. was the annoying part. And yeah. like the creepy part, like the ooh was like, it's not like we can avoid this. There's no way around it. It's like, we're going to have to go and see what this is. Okay. And I, we didn't see what it was. But that happened. At, that was my encounter with some thumping thing. <laughs> That's a squad exclusive little clip there. That's not Chub something. In. Yeah. That was our. Yeah. Then we listened to Chub Bum Chub. Chumbawamba. Chumbawamba dumpa <laughs> afterwards. So you mentioned this idea of being able to identify things that are out of place in yeah. the woods. And that actually plays into this next account uh, where, you know, some of the eating habits of Sasquatch are taken into account, which is a fascinating sort of line of pursuit. So this was uh, a report by Tim. I'll call him Tim. Or Jonathan. Or Jonathan, yeah. I think Jonathan. (laughs) It is, yes. Let's just say Jonathan. Okay. So Jonathan's encounter took place in 1982 in West Virginia. It was recalled in 1994. Jonathan says, my brother and I, Tim... We're looking for a good spot for a new duck blind. We hunt by, we hunt a certain pond. He was at the east end of the pond, good, say, 400 yards from where I seen the creature at. She was over east, close to the tire swing. Thought maybe it was a bear or maybe something else. I don't know. I drew my rifle to shoot it. Bearskin rugs are still sought after, you know. But when I looked in my scope, it was a creature. Hunched over, not on her knees, but still on her feet. She was turning over a coyote carcass. My guess is to get the organs. Coyote ain't the worst taste and thing in these parts, you know. I don't, but thank you for letting me know. (laughs) I was telling my brother what I saw, and he wanted a clear look at her, too. We argued a bit. She seemed to hear. Stood right up. Had to be about six foot upright, and she didn't have no problem being upright, neither. Natural is me and you. Didn't have as much hair as Hollywood would like him to have, but she was a hairy thing. She grunted at us, looked back at the coyote, and then walked into those trees up there. She wasn't too scared. Not scared enough to run, at least she just walked. Well, we went over and seen that coyote, been dead at least a day or two. Animals already been after it before she got there. You would think, for how big she is, she would have gotten herself a fresher meal. We... Whooped. Where'd that go? We removed the coyote's leg from the trap and reset it. Nothing good was left to take off the carcass, and we already have coyote skulls of our own. They could have got me one. I want a coyote yeah. skull. Jonathan's coyote skulls. LTD. Yep. Intimidation flutes and uh, 
Coyote skulls. Yeah. So there, you know, you've got. Can I can I ask a question? I think I saw it. Yeah. I just want this to to clarify. Anytime you say the creature, yeah, you are That's replacing a replacement word. of okay. Mm-hmm. And I just want that to be in the the audience's mind at least. Right. They're, they are using specific terminology to describe these mm-hmm. things, and I think that's interesting. And it's it's a term I had never heard before coming across this. Um, also, there's this great documentary called Mountain Talk. Oh. It's all about the Appalachian dialect. I get I've gotten some great words from that. Mm-hmm. It's it's on YouTube. Check it out. Cool. It's part of I think some Smithsonian thing or some. Oh, really? Thing. Okay. Really, really good. Um, also, with those, I'm going to say it again. When, th- when those reports were reported, when Jonathan's story was shared, is so like interesting to me. Mm-hmm. This is something that's not. If this was in the past fifteen, ye- well, ten years, I would take it with less credibility. But mm. the fact that these are so not so old, but that they're old enough to where this was still. Not socially acceptable. This wasn't all over reality TV. Mm-hmm. Is is really intriguing, and it's really sort of it adds a level of I don't know if I want to say credibility, but believability. Like it makes you think that that this is well, yeah, credibility. I'll say it because mm-hmm. at least to the person giving the report, because it's why would they share it at this time? Yeah, these days. You know, you may be hoping to get on TV mm-hmm. or whatever. There's loads of reasons for people to to lie about Bigfoot sightings. Yeah. But, you know, for a long time, there really wasn't. And I think we forget about that these days. At least I forget about that these days. It's something that, you know, if someone shares a report now, you could get on the news and all that. These days, or back then, who knows? Mm-hmm. Like that, And especially with this, you know this resource we have. Yeah. It's like, this wasn't going to be some, the next big thing. No. And in fact, I think here's the deal. This, the, the person withdrew this when it seemed as if it was heading towards publication, like beyond just for a, uh, an assignment or something. It was, there were people who wanted it to be published as a book and there is a reluctance there to have that happen. Mm-hmm. And that also feeds into how these stories were obtained. It was because the author was from that area and there was a knowledge of who they were so that the door was open for people to share what had really happened to them. But no expectation, as Mm -hmm. you said, that is going to lead to some TV appearance or any sort of notoriety at all. And in fact, it was a sensitivity against notoriety that kept these stories from yeah. seeing the light of day. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. I think time for one more one, report. Yeah. 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 I really wanted to get to this one. Yeah. I'll cut this. Just keep in mind the final runtime for everybody will be that minus like 20 minutes. Oh, okay. So if you want to go for like, so that that's just like an hour almost, you could do that. Yeah, we do one or well, it's do, just, do you have two it's more? Just this, this, the other one is sort of iffy. Okay, and I don't know. Maybe Honest. I'll get to like one of these. Okay, there's no pressure with those. Yeah, 
Yeah, and you'll see why I want to make sure okay. we get to this story in particular because of the details mm -hmm. that it are included in it. Uh, we're going to call this Harrison witness. Oh, wait, is it actually? No. Let's do Harrison. That's Just good. Naming my friends. Or Fredrickson. Fredrickson. Sorry, Harrison. Fredrickson. <laughs> Fredrickson recalled his encounter from 1971 in a 2008 conversation. I found myself hunting in February. I was about six to 700 yards from the shed due east there. I was looking down for deer tracks because I know that was their winter paths. I saw a massive print in the snow. Kind of thought that creature business was long ago tales of some animal long gone like the Indians. But I was pondering that thought while looking down at that print. I decided to keep a better lookout just in case. I got settled into my stand and waited for the deer. Let's say a good hour had passed, hereabouts. I thought I heard whispering. For a second, I thought my kids were out, but I realized they was too big for what I was hearing. They weren't no kids no more. They were teenagers then. I scanned around good, and I saw it, right behind that tree, eight foot tall, sure as the sun rises. I wondered if my eyes weren't playing tricks on me, but I don't partake in spirits before I go hunting. I watched him for a good while. He was looking for something. Turned his head this way and that, and lo and behold, he was making noises. At first, I thought he was whispering, but I swear I saw his teeth chattering like he was cold. But with all that hair, I don't see how that could be. It was like a chattering click. I know he was searching for something. A good five minutes he stood there, then turned north and walked off, simple as that. He never looked at me, but I knew that he knew exactly where I was. I know the creature is real now. Don't care who says different. Maybe those people need to spend some time outside. Some people say we need to spend some time outside. Yeah. Do you know where we live? Don't answer these comments right now. Okay. <laughs> we live in Northeast Ohio. Do you know what it's like this time of year outside? Awful. Even if it's not snowing constantly, it's probably really cold. I would love to be outside. I was outside yesterday when I was 50 because I was like, it's warm. Yeah. There still was ice everywhere. I'd love to be outside. That's probably also for the squad. <laughs> yeah. um, I liked that report. Yeah, a lot. That was really good. Uh, the concept of these things having a language fascinates me. It's knowing mm -hmm. some form of communication, and the thing that fascinates me is the the precedent there is for it. The fact that this is not some abstract idea. There is there's there's almost evidence for it. I mean, there's certainly eyewitness testimony to this happening, and there is reported sounds of this app like recordings of what is claimed to be sasquatch sounds and that's that's something that you really can't make up or if you're it's one of those things that if you are making up then why is everyone sort of why is it you know lining up so well why do these things seem to you know fit together that's just so interesting to me mm -hmm. also the fact that like the creature knew he was there but didn't seem to care i like yeah. 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 I think it's Cliff Berrickman who's said, you know, with tree knocking, for example, it, it's an interesting phenomena, but there are 
very few, if not no, reports of somebody witnessing a Bigfoot do a tree knock. Mm-hmm. So there's an assumption that that's what that behavior is. And I guess to that, you could also add seldom is there an eyewitness account where a person sees a Bigfoot making a sound, but here's one mm-hmm. where the guy looked down and there he sees a Bigfoot walking around and can observe it making the sound that he heard. That seems to indicate some sort of communication going on. So for that reason, I not only is that sort of fascinating, but I think that's an important report that I'm pretty sure doesn't exist in any database anywhere. But here you have somebody just out hunting. Again, somebody very familiar with their surroundings saying, I heard this weird sound and I locked eyes on this thing making a strange noise. Mm. So just this vast pool of probably almost everyday sightings. I mean, it's a little less, I I think every, to say everyday is probably misleading because even in these reports, this is a fairly rare occurrence and yet they're accepted. Mm -hmm. There's an acceptance there that these, you could see one. Just because you don't see it every day. Yes. Doesn't mean that it's not existing. Yeah. I mean, people don't, who live near where bears live, don't see bear every day. I wish they did. Though. <laughs> I want to see a bear. Um, I just want to get my my days right when I say this, my years right. Okay. But um, are we sort of wrapping up in the yeah. long run? Yeah, I think um, so. It is very interesting to me. Where on earth is it? I literally watched it today. Oh. It's very interesting to me. In the Bigfoot community, in the last seven years, the gained acceptance of Bigfoot being all over the country. Because in um, the Sasquatch episode where you guys talk about Appalachian, Appalachia, I'm inventing new pronunciations yeah. of how to say it throughout this episode, but of Appalachian Bigfoot. In a Sasquatch episode I listened to today as I was editing at, at STMHQ, you talk about the fact that this is was your first time looking into West Virginia Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so interesting. Interesting. Starting to talk like that. <laughs> yeah. It's so, that's so interesting to me. Because, I mean, it's so interesting to me because these days there's such a precedent for it. There's mm-hmm. it's so, That's something that's like accepted, at least on the East Coast here. It's like, oh, yeah, West Virginia Bigfoot. That's like a thing. There's Mm -hmm. a museum now. Like, and it's not saying that that's necessarily a really new development, but it's now way more mainstream than it ever was. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just, it's fascinating to me. It's like the acceptance that this subject has gained and, and how sort of common it is, common is, but yet sort of evidence hasn't really risen any. Mm -hmm. And, I will be the one to say, you know, people actually going out in the woods, I feel like hasn't really risen any. It's just, it's, it's fascinating to me, sort of the, as Bigfoot becomes more socially acceptable, the results of that, and there really doesn't seem to be much, except maybe more people are willing to talk about what they've experienced. And that's just my observation is that, mm-hmm. yeah, more, more researchers are being able to share what they, they've said, but 
to my knowledge, these people have been there that at least that long. I mean, I'm giving like the seven year time frame, but like the, it's not like they've haven't they it's not like they just started researching. It's they've been around. Yeah. And like the work of people like Russ Jones, for mm-hmm. example, have brought a lot of those West Virginia reports to light. And he's an excellent example of somebody with one foot in both like the culture and coming up through the Appalachian culture, but also then he has, uh, he's a, you know, he went and got his degree and uh, worked in the medical field for a time. And I think you have the combination there of the, the cultural underpinnings of his research, but also being able to communicate those through books, conference appearances and things of that nature. So he's kind of be able to walk in both, both places which is unique. Mm -hmm. Any other thoughts in closing? No, I just want to say um, that I I really appreciate the opportunity to get into some of the reports that are in this document. And I don't want to, I'm sorry to be like almost Art Bell-esque and like the map, I have a, I'm in the (laughs) possession of a map. But I, I think we did what we could do without saying too much. It's a beautifully written paper and I wish more people could take a look at it and uh, just appreciate very much what it tells us, which is culturally in Appalachia, these sightings happen and they're accepted. And perhaps most importantly, There's research and gathering of these reports that is happening, whether it gets any attention or any notoriety or not. And the hope is that those get handed off at some point in the future and preserved. That's good. I don't know if you at home can hear the train. I hope you can. It's, it's home to me. Yeah. Um, I completely agree what you say um we didn't get into uh a little bit that i did to research this episode which was um i don't know how well you can see those but the work of doug waller which i'm sure i think has another book out at Mm -hmm. least one more yes um if you want to read more about appalachian bigfoot um that's a place i'd send you to certainly um i'll try to remember to link him in the description of this to give some love to him and Sosby. Yeah. Um, I think that's, yeah, that's it. So um, be sure to like, comment, subscribe to us on YouTube and follow us. I think you can follow us on Spotify. You can leave us a review. Leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, the Kickstarter is still going. Please consider backing the Kickstarter. Uh be sure to watch that episode of Bigfoot Project that's out now. Uh, send us mail. Yes, please. Send us an email at monstropolismail at gmail.com. That's, once again, monstropolismail at gmail.com. Uh, thank you for tuning in this week. We will be back next week to talk about one of our favorite Bigfoot researchers. So, catch you on the flip side. Thanks for watching. Thank you.